These are your hosts, Grace and Kim. Hi! From the MI and CAP team, and welcome to the Real Women's Forum, where we discuss topics including, but not limited to, trust in relationships, sexual health, hygiene, racial issues, and misogyny. Recently, we have added subjects that pertain to youth and have created a section under our podcast named Adolescence with an X, where we will speak on topics that specifically relate to community. Before we start, a small disclaimer, the Real Women's Forum podcast does not issue any medical advice. Instead, the podcast serves as a safe and brave space for women and other members of the community to discuss, voice common concerns, and share their experiences. We encourage you to visit MISN's website to seek information on our specialized programs regarding health insurance, improving birth outcomes, and educating teens on the risks of being sexually active. Today, we are here with Mackenzie Bocker, the Advocacy and Education Director of Fearless, formerly known as Safe Homes of Orange County. Welcome, Mackenzie, and thank you for being here with us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Of course. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about the work that you do for Fearless? What's your job? What does it entail? Yeah, so Fearless, uh, formerly Safe Homes of Orange County, is the uh, domestic violence human trafficking resource provider for both Orange and Sullivan counties. And so servicing anyone who is experiencing um, you know, the dynamics of domestic violence, intimate partner violence, human trafficking, and really just overall crime victimization and exploitation. And that's anybody, regardless of age, gender, race, socioeconomic status. And so as the advocacy and education director, my role specifically is about supporting the advocates that work with the clients directly or individuals who are looking for support from our agency and also supporting the education team. So similar to what you're doing here for your program, educating folks using this platform, we also do educational programs knowing that a piece of our work is prevention with younger populations around healthy relationships and understanding the dynamics of abuse. And then also educating the public on you know, what we do as an agency and overall larger topics. And so, of course, we're assisting folks who experience domestic violence and human trafficking, crime victimization, but really addressing the more holistic needs of those individuals. So it might be the immediate need in the moment around the violence that they're experiencing, but also, of course, really focusing on a lot of the topics you even just addressed with this podcast, right? Like their experiences of meeting their most basic needs, making sure they're finding safety and support, mental and physical wellness outside of even just the experiences of domestic violence. And I think it's great the work that you do um, regarding domestic violence and human trafficking. I feel like something that isn't really talked a lot about on a daily is human trafficking at all. The most we see is probably what's portrayed in Hollywood cinema. But could you explain what human trafficking is and why it's happening? Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I think it's definitely become more of the conversation. And I think actually like through election cycles and things like that, you hear it coming up a little bit more, but, you know, really at its core human trafficking, what it is, is, you know, the practice of commodifying people um, so that they can be bought and sold for the purposes of either sexual or labor servitude. You'll oftentimes hear people refer to it as modern day slavery. And, you know, the question of like, why is human trafficking happening? And why is this something that people experience? We, of course, can go into like the larger and systemic nature of the conversation, but it really is about that commodifying of individuals, right? Why is this happening? It's happening because people get away with it and because realistically, it ends in commodity, right? It's profitable for the individuals who are exploiting individuals for the purposes of sex or labor trafficking. Can you talk a little bit more about the difference or similarity between human trafficking and sex trafficking? 
Yeah. So they are one and the same, right? So human trafficking is a term used to describe that commodifying of individuals, right? So human trafficking is just the practice of like purchasing and selling individuals for whatever that commodity is. And so when you get down to the different types and you define sex trafficking, sex, sexual favors is the commodity there, right? So human trafficking, the human is the thing that's being bought and sold. And then when you get down to human sex trafficking, that's what the commodity is, right? So individuals are being bought and sold for the purposes of sexual acts. And then when you think of labor trafficking on the, on the opposite end, that's for the purposes of labor servitude, right? So both of those experiences are human trafficking and really that commodifying of individuals for whatever that outcome is and the money and the force, fraud and coercion being a piece of that experience is what defines it as human trafficking. And can you speak about some of the common human trafficking myths? Yeah, absolutely. I think you kind of commented on it a little bit in the introduction. We get a lot of the myths surrounding human trafficking from what we see in media and even from what we learn about relationships, right? Um, I think when I first started this work, a film that was very, very popular and then kind of took off in Hollywood were the Taken movies with Liam Neeson. Um, And so you have folks thinking of this experience where I think one of the largest myths is this like kidnapping behavior and this image that an individual who is being trafficked is going to be kidnapped by a stranger who is the perpetrator and that they're going to be like shipped off someplace else other than the community where they're from or where they live in right and so i think one of the biggest myths is that it's a stranger who's perpetrating these behaviors and that individuals are like transported in the act of trafficking when realistically it's happening within our communities, right? Individuals who are being trafficked are most likely experiencing that within the communities that they live and operate within. So I think that, you know, kind of the Hollywood image of it does it a little bit of a disservice. And I think there's this myth that it is a majority like an adult behavior and it's adults perpetrating and experiencing this behavior. We know the reality that the common age that youth begin to experience this behavior or anybody who lives a life of trafficking begins to experience this behavior is between the ages of 11 to 13. Um, And so this myth that tied into this idea of what we envision prostitution as in our society, I think folks have this myth that individuals who are being trafficked are prostitutes and that's absolutely not true. Another question I have for you is how, what role does consent play in human trafficking, sex trafficking? Can someone give consent and still have it be human trafficking or does consent not really matter as long as there's some type of, I guess, extortion of labor or whatever the in that specific situation? Yeah, that extortion that you're talking about, we really define it as force, fraud, and coercion, three components that create that extortion. And so there is a difference. And I think it's so important to talk about the difference between sex work and human trafficking, right? And that's exactly what you're talking about is the agency and consent that somebody has to engage in those acts. If there's ever somebody talking about a pimp being involved, there's somebody else who like monitors money and helps them, you know, with what that is. Oftentimes you're talking about trafficking, right? And that person is a trafficker. But it's really important to know that like recruiting, harboring, transporting, providing or obtaining a person for commercial commercial sex act that's induced by force, fraud, and coercion, that's really the definition of human trafficking, right? And so if you have those three components, force, fraud, and coercion, you can't consent, right? And I think similar with both of our works, we know that truly to define informed consent, you have to know what you're consenting to and have complete agency to say yes or no to whatever those acts are. And realistically, when you talk about human sex trafficking, 
it's monetized, right? And so if somebody is being promised goods, money, or anything else that they need to survive in exchange for those acts, then are they really consenting to the act, right? Mm -hmm. And so absolutely, I think going along with that question around myths, there's also a myth around what consent looks like when it comes to trafficking, right? If somebody's being promised by the person who's pressuring them to do these acts that they'll continue to be safe, they'll continue to access housing and support that they need to live independently or what they perceive as safely, then we really don't in our work see that as true consent, right? It's not informed around what you're truly consenting to. And that's also coercion, right? So like pressure and coercion can be in the form of a quid pro quo. So this for that. And that's oftentimes what you're hearing. I don't think youth know what that term is, quid pro quo. We hear that like more late in life a lot of the times, but it's a this for that behavior. If you do this, then you'll stay safe. If you do this, then you'll get that. And we know that's truly not consensual, right? And I would just make a point really quick. I apologize that when we're defining this, I think that force, fraud and coercion, it's important to know that that's really focused on adults who are being trafficked. If somebody's under the age of 18, we know in New York state, the age of consent is 17, right? And so if there is pressure or manipulation in that way, I mean, realistically, that's a youth being groomed and we can absolutely talk about that a little bit more in depth, but force, fraud, and coercion are not required to prove an instance of trafficking for a youth because they can't consent to that act anyway, right? So it's a little different between youth and adults, but the experience is the same. And what are some vulnerabilities that you found that traffickers tend to exploit when, um, I guess, selecting victims? Or that sounds really like... (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. And I think it's hard, like, answering that question at times because... We know that anyone can experience trafficking, but absolutely there's behaviors that make youth, I think, especially more vulnerable or adults as well. I would say individuals that don't have a stable support system to rely on, right? Oftentimes we know that the trafficker is the person that that person is trying to rely on, right? So whether it's a family member or a dating partner or a friend, trafficking often happens with grooming because that person feels supported by the trafficker, right? So a vulnerability around not having, you know, a stable home environment or a stable environment for of support can be a huge vulnerability. Um, I think also, you know, transient youth who have histories of running away from home are also vulnerable because again, oftentimes traffickers are stepping in and giving that support that a youth is lacking from elsewhere, right? Or any individual, right? But um, really somebody who's lacking that support and solid system in their life, I think can always find themselves vulnerable to a trafficker. And then what are some signs that someone might be a victim of human trafficking? I keep using that term grooming. And I think it's always those warning signs that kind of lead us to understanding that there might be grooming happening for an individual. I think some of the biggest like red flags to notice is like a lack of freedom, right? I think around any of the conditions, whether it's in a relationship or somebody's working conditions, they have a lack of freedom or a lack of choice around what they're able to do. Fewer know like personal possessions and financial records. And again, this is for adults a lot of the times, and this is really focused on labor trafficking, I think. Any signs of like physical abuse or like I think it's hard with this one, especially as tattoos and body modifications become more and more popular. But this idea of like 
branding and possessiveness around gift giving or, you know, clothing, jewelry items or tattoos. I think oftentimes you'll find, especially if it's a youth that you think is vulnerable to trafficking, a youth who doesn't have access to items all of a sudden having access to things, right? And so maybe you're thinking that this youth is in a new relationship and it looks like there's maybe a little bit of love bombing going on where they have new shoes, new handbags. Maybe they're coming in with like their nails and hair done more frequently than you used to see them. And you know, they're not accessing those things from home or a job, right? So like, where are those things coming from? Who's giving you those things? Number one should be a red flag in any relationship outside of trafficking, right? Early in the beginning. So those are definitely ones I think that folks focus on most with youth. But then even this idea of just like not having a stable home life, right? I think that's a red flag and knowing that maybe a youth is struggling with their home life and then all of a sudden they're staying someplace else and they're frequently letting you know that they're staying with a friend and maybe can't outrightly define like who that friend is or where they're staying. That would lead me to believe that maybe they're staying at different places at different times. Right. And so not really defining who that person is to them can be a red flag as well. And what if we were to find ourselves or we know someone who may be a possible victim of human trafficking, what would you suggest we do or how could we go about approaching the situation um, without Mm -hmm. creating like any, anything dangerous? Yeah. I think that's a great way to ask the question. And I'm sure I don't have to tell all of you that more information for survivors means less control for the abusive person, right? And so absolutely being mindful of the way that we approach survivors or individuals that we believe might be experiencing these things. I think number one, like expressing to them that you are a support system and first starting with what confidentiality can look like for them, right? If you're a family, if you're a friend, right? Oftentimes you can keep that information to yourself, but helping somebody understand like where your concern is coming from and what that information would look like when shared with you, right? I think especially as service providers, we have to think of that a little differently than somebody's friend might have to or a support system outside of being a service provider. So how can you keep their information private and how do you support them in making autonomous decisions? One important thing to always remember is that somebody who's being trafficked is being controlled by the other person, right? It might seem like they have choices and it might seem like they're actively making decisions. And we know on the back end that that trafficker is always behind those decisions. And so not placing blame on the individual around whatever information they do take from you or don't take, right? It's our perception of whether or not somebody's using the information we give to them, but really helping people understand the support systems as well, right? So not just saying like, this is what you're experiencing you need to leave or you need to stop this behavior because it's not within their control, knowing what are support systems, what are things that might be able to help that individual, and how do you continue to be a support system if they might not take that information right away, right? So continuing to let them know that you're somebody who's going to support them, regardless of if they look for help at all. When connecting directly to Fearless, we are the human trafficking resource provider for the county. And so I think that people connecting to any resource, including an agency like MISN is really important, and then getting navigated to an agency like ours. I think it's really important to know, and I'm sure I don't have to tell the two of you, reaching out to service providers is scary. We're strangers. A lot of folks don't know what it means when you start to interact with the system. If individuals have children, they can be really afraid of like those types of involvements with child welfare systems. If individuals are youth themselves, they might be afraid of that type of intervention as well. And so being really clear with survivors too around what your mandated reporter status is and who might have to learn the information that they're telling to you is really important. I think oftentimes 
if we step in and start making decisions for survivors, we're just perpetuating the behaviors of an abusive partner, right? So knowing that it's about their safety and knowing what we have to do to protect people's safeties, but letting them have as much choice in the support that we're giving them as we can and not making decisions for survivors. Um, So we've spoken a little bit about the signs that someone might be a victim of trafficking. And of course, from the last question, how we can be supportive and help someone to maybe get out of a trafficking situation. Now I just want to ask you how we can protect ourselves and like what are warning signs to look out for um, when getting into a new relationship or just interacting with someone that might be a sign of a possible trafficking relationship or grooming Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like, we don't go into relationships so cynical, right? We never go into a relationship thinking that this is going to be the outcome. And knowing that it's, it's oftentimes family members and intimate partners, right? And so knowing that it can be even outside of like our intimate partners. Um, But I think really understanding dynamics of like consent and healthy relationships is really important. And knowing what it means within a relationship to establish boundaries. I mean, human trafficking is so married and mirrored within experiences of domestic violence that oftentimes we can talk about those grooming behaviors as synonymous in some ways. And so when somebody comes into a relationship with you, whether they're your new intimate partner, a friend or a family member that you're growing closer to, oftentimes abusive people and um, traffickers will really try to push your boundaries. The things that you establish within your life to protect yourself, to keep yourself safe and to keep yourself comfortable within your relationships, traffickers and abusive people across the board try to push those boundaries and try to change what our boundaries are and really try to manipulate mentally and emotionally before anything will ever escalate to abusive. And so I think to protect ourselves, going into relationships, having a strong sense of what we're entitled to around our boundaries in relationships and knowing how we hold responsibility and respect around our boundaries can be really important and really identifying and knowing that we have a right to step up and speak up if somebody isn't respecting our boundaries, because that is the first step to anybody grooming anyone into an abusive relationship or even a, a situation like human trafficking is first making sure that you can isolate somebody and tear down their boundaries and then you have more control over that individual. So if you ever get into a relationship and feel like you're not being respected and what you like or what you prefer and your relationships with people outside of that relationship aren't being respected, that should definitely be a red flag regardless of whether it's human trafficking or an abusive relationship. And if someone would want to talk about their relationship, would they be able to call Fearless and talk about what they're going through as well? Yeah, that's the best way to reach out to our agency. So I appreciate you plugging that. Fearless is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, And the best way to reach out to our agency is through our 24-hour hotline. I'll plug that number. It's 845-562-5340. And again, nine to five, Monday through Friday, it's answered out of our Family Justice Center, which is at 280 Broadway in Newburgh. Outside of those hours, it actually rings to our shelter that's staffed overnight. Um, And so there'll always be somebody there to answer it. And so would say that if somebody's looking for support, whether it's for themselves or somebody that they know, that's a great place to reach out. We are at 280 Broadway in Newburgh. That's our main office in Orange County. Folks are absolutely welcome to walk in there as well, and they don't need an appointment. So if you're ever looking to talk about your relationship and the dynamics of it and what support can look like, or trying to work through details of somebody else's relationship and what it could look like to best support them, that's two great things to reach out to us for. We're never going to tell people what they should do. We're going to start with where you are and really just help you identify like the resources and different systems of support. 
Thank you. Uh, so we talked about what human trafficking is and some warning signs to look out for, how to identify possible victims, as well as what we can do to prevent human trafficking for us um, ourselves. But what can the overall community do to stop human trafficking from occurring? Number one is believing survivors and listening to the experiences of survivors. If we don't believe the experiences of human trafficking, we're never going to end it, right? And I think that your question around myths, I think education is so important. Educate yourself around what human trafficking is. Really understand what it is and try our hardest not to perpetuate myths and bias around it, right? When we talk about human sex trafficking, when we talk about human labor trafficking, we've already identified that anyone can experience this. And so really trying to challenge ourselves and our own like implicit bias that comes through around those myths and who might be experiencing and who doesn't know that everybody can and will um, believe the experiences of survivors help survivors find that safety and support. But I think really like it's, it's interesting myself and another um, director here, we're talking recently around the myths that people will kind of like believe. And I've, I see things on my Facebook all the time that are around like, you know, things that people will do to your car in parking lots. And that's a sign of trafficking or, you know, somebody approaching you at in the Walmart grocery store, starting a certain conversation. Those actually are not what human trafficking looks like most of the time in our society. Right. And most likely are not the ways that human trafficking is going to show up in your life. Human trafficking is going to show up in the exact ways that we said. It's going to be a youth who is running away from home and looking for support, right? It's going to be a person in your life who you're perceiving to be in a toxic relationship and you're telling them just to leave when you don't know that those dynamics are really human trafficking, right? So believing survivors, knowing that systems like Fearless are here to support individuals and really having the resources to give survivors when you meet them is really important. I really um, also appreciate that you talked on, you spoke on education. I think. Um, and we've talked about this on podcasts before that when we educate ourselves, it gives us the ability to spot things, to be supportive, to have a better understanding of different dynamics and how we're navigating them, how other people are navigating them. And I guess like what the next steps are to take. And so I really think that education is so important and it gives us the ability to be vigilant for ourselves and for those that are around us. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to, some any type of wisdom you'd like to impart on our <laughs> listeners or anything at all? Um, believe survivors. That's what I'll leave people with. You know, education. I think I really appreciate that you're ending with that. And wouldn't it be great if podcasts like this someday could really lead to work like this not existing, right? I mean, at Fearless, I think we know that we'll always have a job to do, but one of the biggest things we're trying to do is solicit the communities that we work in and being agents of change. And so our executive director always says that change comes with one person. One person can create change. And so if you listen to this podcast today and it compelled you to learn more about human trafficking or learn more about either of our agencies, I think that makes all the difference. That was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I think, I I mean, I personally have learned a lot about human trafficking and all the ways it can present itself and what to look out for. Um, And I hope that our listeners also feel enlightened and have a desire to want to learn more and to be a support for their community and for themselves. And I think that you you brought up about um, like tying knots around cars and stuff I saw that on TikTok it was like a huge thing that happened people were like watch out um they they blew it up but I think that it's important to not just take social media and what you see on social media for granted and as you know everything so I think that getting the right information is important and 
So thank you for dispelling that myth. Um, I was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good to have safety behaviors, right? But to know the real information, absolutely. Well, if anyone listening is interested in being interviewed or knows someone that might be interested in being interviewed for our podcast, please reach out to us via text or call at 845-248-3942. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.